Hey Jazz fans, this is Jack Hamblin, and you are listening to Utah Jazz Weekly, a podcast for every fan of the Utah Jazz. Every week I have a ton of fun writing and recording these episodes for you guys, and of course I love talking about the Utah Jazz. If you guys would like, you can leave a rate and review on this podcast. That would really help me out a ton. Now, without any further ado, let's get into this week's episode. Hope you enjoy. Hello everyone, and welcome back to Utah Jazz Weekly. Um, There is a ton of jazz news to go over today. We're going to be going over the crazy Mitchell drama from the last week. We're going to react to Game 1 of the playoff series and reflect on what we need to do in the future um, as a team to be more successful for the rest of the series against the Grizzlies. And I'm also going to be giving out my regular season awards for the Jazz, so it should be a great episode. Before we get things rolling, make sure to share this podcast with your friends. Any Jazz fans you know that aren't aware of the podcast, uh, make sure to get the word out to them. I think this is a really good place to get uh, a really good take on the Jazz, as well as get good news on the Jazz and what's happening in the franchise as kind of a general casual expect uh perspective sorry uh versus a more in-depth look i think we have a good mix of both so yeah make sure to share this with all your jazz fans out there and as well as leaving a rating on this podcast and then go ahead and follow the instagram page at utah.jazzweekly to start things off today we're going to talk about the most prolific piece of news in jazz headlines recently and that is going to be the drama over mitchell not playing in game one there's a lot to break down here there's a lot of different sides to the story and so we're just going to look at the general non-biased perspective of what happened and then i'm going to give my take on it and my reaction to what happened and what it tells for the future so for those of you who don't know On Sunday, the Jazz medical staff decided that Mitchell was not physically fit to play in Game 1 of the playoffs and found it worth the risk of not having him play versus what um, aggravating the ankle injury he already has. He uh, strained his ankle, strained or sprained his ankle back in mid-April, and he has been working towards towards recovering it ever since, and the goal is for him to be back in time for the playoffs. But like I said, the Jazz's medical team, the franchise's medical team, um, scratched him off the roster late before the game. Mitchell practiced all of that week, and he shot around before the game and was warming up for the game, but then it was decided that he would not be playing in the game. Um, Obviously, this was a really controversial decision between um, the whole Jazz roster, the fan base. There's kind of a high tension right now with the Jazz's medical staff. But in my personal opinion, I think they made uh, the right decision, and it's better to be safe than sorry. Uh, There have been multiple instances in NBA history that a player has been cleared to play, and then they re-aggravate an injury from something they're recovering from, even though they may feel ready to be back, or uh, a second opinion in this case may feel that they are ready to be back. But in this case, the Jazz's medical staff, professional NBA medical staff, didn't feel like he was ready to play so like I said I think this was the best decision and I think they just wanted to avoid a more major injury because that has happened in the past Kevin Durant was cleared to come back from injury he came back the game he was cleared and then he re-aggravated the injury even worse and I think that they really wanted to avoid this 
obviously not playing uh would upset any player uh, the NBA is a very competitive league. All the athletes have very competitive natures and spirits. That's how they got to the league. That's how they're as successful as they are. And this was no different. The decision to sit him, sit Mitchell really upset him as it would with anybody because through his recovery, he was not super confident and not preferring the way the Jazz's medical staff was handling his rehabilitation and working through this injury. And not that he didn't want them to help him, but he felt that a second opinion and some more outside help would would just further along the process and make it an even cleaner process. So Mitchell hired his own physical therapy and medical staff, and they cleared him to play on Sunday, and he felt comfortable himself to play, and he had practiced that week, but the Jazz's medical staff did not clear him to play as a late scratch on Sunday. So, it it was ultimately the franchise's decision, and they know better than anyone from a, from a medical standpoint, as medical professionals, and like I said, I think they made the right decision. It's better safe than sorry. Of course, the Jazz did, up, did end up losing this game. But and we'll talk more about the game later. But I, I think it's being blown out of proportion a little bit, and I mean it's it's hard to decipher what's all going on because we only know what the media is telling us, and we don't know what's fact and what's fake. We don't know how Mitchell like truly one hundred percent feels about it from all standpoints. He has revealed that he was uh, angry about it and that it frustrated him, but. Some people take those words and run it a different way than I would run it. I would say that he was frustrated and angry that the way they went about it, I don't think was very well communicated. They, it, it was expected that he would play. They made it his expectation that he would be playing in game one. And then just a change of mind can be really frustrating, especially if they weren't clear with him. And that's another thing that we don't really know is how it was all communicated. So I think personally it was the right decision because, like I said, it's better safe than sorry. Missing one game just to get some extra days of of rehabilitation and healing on the ankle is worth it if, it, if it's not re-aggravated for the rest of the playoffs. The other side of this, like I said, is the media. And in my opinion... There's been many instances of this, but the NBA media is just purely idiotic. And listening and reading the things they were saying yesterday was literally making me lose brain cells. I was very anxious reading it and listening to it. It made me very confused and just frustrated because they are so... They just run away with things in such an exaggerated way. It's just so annoying. So the moment the news broke out that Mitchell was upset with the Jazz, that he didn't play, I saw multiple posts, multiple videos of people that said his relationship with the franchise has been damaged and that he's going to want to leave soon. Mitchell to the Lakers, Mitchell to the Knicks. And it's just so stupid because this is just one instance that happened. Like, of course it's frustrating, but... This is still a job, and, you know, miscommunication happens in any workplace, and he's basically already moved on from it, and it's already, I mean, it still exists in the air, and the tension 
it, it, it still exists, but Mitchell is a lot smarter than the idiotic media writers and uh, content creators that are saying these things. And it's not even just media, it's just fan bases. And I know it shouldn't let me let it bother me. And as I mature as a fan and as somebody who wants to be in this business of media, I'm sure I'll get more used to it. And especially as a jazz fan, it's just something to get used to. But it's just hard. Right now, it's kind of a new thing to me. So it's just really frustrating to see all these things that it's such an immature and exaggerated overreaction. It's unimaginable how crazy they get with these things. He he came out and said he was upset, like the media stated, but Mitchell's a lot smarter, and he's like already moved on from the mishap. He's ready to focus on the playoffs. He's a professional. He knows what the focus needs to be. He knows how good the Jazz have been in the regular season, and he's just ready to focus on these playoffs. He was just as upset as like I would be in this case, as anyone would be in this case, I think, because he couldn't be there for his team, not because he's frustrated with the Jazz's medical staff. He is. He wanted to be there. He wanted to play. He knew that the team has been struggling in many instances, instances without him in the past month and a half, and he just knew that the playoffs are a whole different breed, a whole different game, and that each team needs their superstar. He's our best offensive player by far, I would say, as far as scoring goes and creating for yourself, and he just he wants to compete. He we made it to the playoffs for the first seed and he's ready to come back and compete. He's cleared for game two. He is ready for the playoffs. He said, we have bleep to do. We are, we're ready to compete. And I've already, he's, he's saying that he has already pushed it aside because it's just going to distract from what's important. That's competing in the playoffs. So it, it, it's just frustrating to see that people are interpreting it in a different way that it 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 should be and that it, it, the reality of how i'm seeing it is and everyone can interpret it their own way but just being so hyperbolic with it is so annoying and you know i think it's the right decision because of being precautious about the injury but also because i think that this game one loss could be a good thing in a way because it's lit this fire in our team they know what they need to do to win they know what they have to do to adjust and it it's just gonna. Sh- it just shows them that they need to take the Grizzlies seriously. I and I'm gonna talk about this in the when we talk about Game One, but I kind of expected the game to go this way, even with Mitchell. And so, and when it was announced that we were gonna play the Grizzlies, I know the whole fan base and all of social media took a, a breath of relaxation and relief, like, oh my gosh, we don't have to play Steph Curry. But and I hope the players didn't do that too. I mean, I. F- feel like the players would be more mature than that but at the same time they're human just like us and they can feel those they know that Steph Curry has been a top three if not the best player in the NBA this season and so I know they didn't they I know that they were relieved that they didn't have to play him but I hope that like the fan base they weren't taking a step back like oh the Grizzlies it's just Memphis they don't have any huge names I mean Ja, ja Morant is a budding star but they are a team that you need to take seriously and I hope that this game one loss really showed that speaking of what we need to do as a team to take them seriously um let's move on to what the roster needs to do to win tomorrow and what 
we need to do to win this series because I mean if we're playing like that game one even with Mitchell we're not winning and obviously Mitchell there would have helped and I think we still would have won but it um was a rough one so let's talk about it um for me this game went almost as expected like I was saying even if Mitchell did end up playing I think if he did play we still would have won but it would have been extremely messy just like it was the amount of turnovers we had and a lot of defensive struggles and things like that I think a lot of people overreacted for this game and I think the Jazz will still take the series I think uh six would be the good number I think Memphis will win game four probably but I think we'll win games two three and five six so it's it's not something to worry about a ton it's been a week and we'll talk about that rust that we have versus how the Grizzlies have been rolling but the Grizzlies just needed to be taken more seriously like they are a very good team and they would probably be a higher seed if they were healthy earlier in the season John Morant was hurt and Jaron Jackson Jr. who's like their third best player I'd probably say behind Valanciunas um and Morant they he was hurt for almost the whole season he just barely came back so if they have a fully healthy roster they're actually a really great team super young they're the second youngest team in the league they play scrappy they play just hungry and young and ready to compete no matter who they're playing they're not afraid to stare the number one seed in the eyes and take them down game one which is what they did they've been super hot lately and they were coming to this game on fire after beating the Warriors they knew what they were capable of and their youth showed a lot in this game in a good way and a bad way it showed in their energy it showed in the modern kind of NBA they played where it's very fast it's very small ball it's very crafty and they showed their their young age in that way well but they also showed it in almost blowing the lead lead that they had I think it was more them blowing a lead than us um coming back and the final was honestly a lot closer than it should have been for us like it should have been way like it it should have been not even close props to Bogdanovich for bringing us back into the game I was excited to turn the game back on after I honestly turned it off out of frustration because I was like it's just Memphis and now we all need to realize as a team as a franchise as a fan base that Memphis is a very good team and some they need to be taken seriously so I I was excited to turn it back on once Bogdanovich had you know brought us back in it but against any other team in the playoffs that would have been a blowout and that can't happen again in these playoffs if the Jazz want to survive they the Grizzlies are a very long team defensively and they have great chemistry on both sides of the court uh Moran Valanciunas have been playing this is their second season together and they have a lot of good chemistry you can tell that they kind of have that underdog mentality and like um they talked about on TNT with the Jazz yesterday, the Jazz have kind of turned into the hunted instead of the hunters, and they definitely were hunted by the Grizzlies on Sunday. And, you know, they should be taking them a lot more seriously than they did. That being said, there were a lot of really weird, random things in this game that made it um, the way that it was and how it ended up in a loss. One of those, it wasn't like any other game this season for the Jazz at all like it was so many weird things that we're going to talk about so one of the reasons it was a weird game is because the Jazz were super cold from three they couldn't hit any threes and this has happened before 
but usually when it's happened before it hasn't just been because the jazz are cold it's been because they are tired at the end of a road trip and in this case it was because they were rusty more it was kind of the opposite and it was you know very rough the jazz shot 26 percent from three 12 for 47 and Ingles had three for seven of those so if you take away Ingles shots they were nine of 40 so under 25 percent without Ingles, 26 percent with Ingles. it was just a really bad three point uh night i want to see if it's the it's probably the worst this season when we've had our full roster other than mitchell it was a very bad three-point percentage at least our starters three-point percentage and you know our bench from three was one for 15 that's also very awful and that was just very unlike the jazz and some people have said that the jazz are pretty reliant on the three which i could say there's some truth to that but at the same time, it's if you're, sh we need to shoot. Obviously, we need to shoot better than twenty six percent to win a playoff game. And I mean, we only lost by three, and we shot twenty six percent from three. So there's a a lot of positives in that. Being we have a chance to still win a game if we hit one more three. If we go thirteen for forty seven instead of twelve for forty seven. We have a chance to tie a game, and so I wouldn't say that we're reliant on three because we, if we shot 28% instead of 26%, the game would be tied. So I wouldn't say that's reliant on three at all, and it, it just has to be better. The shots have to fall, and I think they will because, like I said, in the past when the threes haven't been hitting, it's because they've been the legs are very tired at the end of a road trip, but in this case, it was because they hadn't played in a week the rust had kind of set in, they weren't in their rhythm that they get from from playing often, and this season has been so uh, jam-packed, the schedule has been tight, and so they've been playing basically every other day, sometimes two-day rest, and sometimes back-to-back -back games, so it was very odd to not play for uh, six days straight, and then come into a game where you need to be playing at a, uh, a high enough caliber to compete in the playoffs. And so that was very interesting. I don't think we'll ever shoot 26% from three again in the playoffs. I would be very surprised if that happened. And it, it was just a weird anomaly. Another thing that was super weird for the Jazz is the fouls. Conley and Gobert got into foul trouble early. And you can blame that on them or the refs. Maybe 50-50, who knows. They still need to be better about not fouling and adjusting to how the refs were calling the fouls and how the Grizzlies were taking advantage of how, um, of drawing fouls from the Jazz. And it, yeah, it's just something that needs to be adjusted. And that hasn't really happened this season. We haven't had to worry about foul trouble because Rudy's very, very good at not fouling. He's one of the best players at defending without fouling the, the other team. And I think like two of his fouls early were weird offensive foul calls so things like that, and Conley's not really one to foul either. Like, he's not a super physical defender while still being substantial. So that kind of thing where we had to rest. Like, we didn't have Mitchell, and Rudy only played 25 minutes of a playoff game. I would say that is almost a recipe for a loss, and we almost won. So I don't see this game as a negative, really. It, it rested Mitchell more, Gobert got into foul trouble, and it really shows how we need to play to win.
they barely squeaked by with us shooting like this. So this isn't something to worry about at all. Like the people that are worrying, I don't even see it. Kendrick Perkins is um, a dummy. He he uh, respectfully he doesn't know what he's talking about. In my opinion, he's an ESPN analyst, and he said that the Grizzlies are going to take this series. I think that's overreaction and foolish. And I know they script those shows to get headlines, and he's getting a reaction out of me. So congratulations. But I think that that's that's a pretty dumb take. I mean, the Jazz almost winning by three and playing this bad isn't that bad of a thing. Like I was saying, Conley and Gobert foul trouble early. I don't think that's going to happen again. They'll adjust accordingly, and they will know what they need to do to not get in foul trouble because Conley was plus 11 on the court and Rudy was plus 9 on the court, but if they don't get enough minutes because they have to be resting for fouls, then... It, it's frustrating because they can't bring us back. Like, we we would have been able to win that for sure if they weren't in foul trouble, even without Mitchell. So that was another weird anomaly. And then another thing that has never happened in this season that will never happen again is the roster thought Mitchell was playing. And that's another frustrating thing about um, the late scratches that Gobert said he woke up from his afternoon nap because I'm sure they wake up at four in the morning and hit the gym and then go take a nap later, something that I should probably be doing too, but I'm not, <laughs> is he woke up from his afternoon nap and he was aware and let know that Mitchell would not be playing in that night's game. That's crazy to be preparing all week, practicing all week, to have your best offensive player and one of your best players on your team, and then all of a sudden he's not playing, and you're just mentally, like this game is so mental, mentally you're thrown through such a whirlwind of um, just emotion and, and mental deconstruction of, okay, now we need to do this because Mitchell's not playing. And they've played without him for so long, but the playoffs are super different, and when you're flipping that switch from, we don't have Mitchell and we are playing like this, and oh, we have Mitchell back, we've been practicing with him this week, and we have him back, and you're going to be expecting to be playing in a certain way, and then all of a sudden, oh, we're flipping back, we don't have him again, it just throws you off, uh, Gobert said it threw him off, and then Conley said it threw him off too, so when you have an unexpected event happen like that, that's going to be another anomaly that's going to create a hard game, and Lo and behold, Gobert and Conley are the ones that got into foul trouble because they were probably just mentally thrown off of what they were going to play like with Mitchell since they didn't have him. It it That's not going to happen again, so I don't see this game as that big of a deal. That's another reason I don't really see this game as a big that big of a deal. That being said, Memphis is certainly not going to go away. They are a fighting team. They know how to beat us because they beat us. And I think that they are going to be coming out swinging just like they did in this game. Um, that was Dylan Brooks. I've watched Dylan Brooks before, and I've kind of been a fan with him. And, of course, when you're in a series with a team, you're automatically going to kind of dislike some of the players on that team because they're kind of your opponent, your enemy. But pff, Dylan Brooks is such a bug now. He's such a dink. He is just frustrating and annoying and he has that cocky junior high type boy personality that's so annoying this is probably the best game he's ever going to play in his career and it was a really good game like props to what he could do but with no go bear for so much of the game you can be allowed to do a lot because we're not used to be having go bear and you might say we're a little bit too go bear and mitchell reliant but they're our best players so of course we're going to rely on them to win because they're the reason we're winning they're the reason we're the first seed a, a large part of the reason of course 
But yeah, this was probably the best game he'll have in his career. He might average like 10 points for the rest of the series, so not a big deal. I mean, he had a good game on both sides of the ball. Two steals, two blocks, and then of course he dropped 31. So props to him, but I hope he had fun while it lasted because it probably won't happen again. Especially since he's going to be uh, exhausted guarding Mitchell tomorrow. Because that's a test that will exhaust any human being <laughs> playing Mitchell. Guarding Mitchell, can't even imagine it. So... You know, I don't think this game was that big of a deal as far as an indication of what the rest of the series will be like because it was such an anomaly from, from what we do as a team. If you look at what the Jazz need to do to win the rest of the series, there's a lot of things you could point at in this game that they need to improve on. Obviously, keeping the fouls under control is a big thing. Make sure you're not fouling when you don't need to and things like that because foul trouble is one of the worst game killers you could have turnovers is kind of always something that's occurred in our team not taking care of the ball is a big thing that we blame losses on this season and this game was no different like I said before the Grizzlies are a very long team defensively and they can get some sneaky steals that the Jazz may have not faced earlier this season so the 14 turnovers um, isn't a great thing and that should definitely be toned down in the future and just taking care of the ball, playing jazz basketball, blender, um, ball movement, doing what you need to do, take care of the ball, not making silly passes, not pushing yourself to make uncomfortable shots or put yourself in uncomfortable situations. And the Grizzlies really did a good job of that, especially with Clarkson. He went 0 for 8 from 3. They did a really good job of making him uncomfortable and getting him out of his comfort zone. He was doubled a lot, and I don't think that's something he's seen a lot this season. And props to Clarkson because he... Um, started going in the paint more once the threes weren't falling and he did end up with 14 points and he was only negative one on the plus minus so uh, a pretty good game from him but he also had four turnovers Bogdanovich also had four turnovers and Gobert had three so when you have three players combined for 11 turnovers it's not good at all and it just the ball needs to be taken care of Rudy is um, butterfingers at times and that needs to be taken care of so I think just playing jazz basketball, playing to everyone's strengths, we know that Rudy in the post one-on-one uh, -on -one with Valanchunas isn't our best scoring option. It's uh, blending, uh, pick-and-roll, Rudy alley-oop. That's the best Rudy offensive. And I know in the past, especially last season, Rudy really wanted to be a more offensive uh, scoring factor, and he can be, just not in that one-on-one -on -one post way that, say, Valanchunas could be. That's Valanchunas's game, but Rudy is in the same way. So I think playing to your strengths, not getting out of your comfort zone, that is a really great way to improve in this future, in the future of this series. I also think that keeping Memphis under control as far as... Um, individual scoring and staying on your man that's something that the Jazz have struggled with this season defensively is staying um on your assignment uh in a disciplined way and in a you know I'm going to come after you and you are the guy not Rudy Gobert is behind me to bail me out that you are my assignment I'm staying in front of you you're not going to get the better of me I think that's something that a lot of our team needs to do Royce is a very good defender and I'm going to talk more about him later but he sometimes men just the opponents just blow right past him and it's really you know frustrating because as a one-on-one -on -one defender and the best one-on-one -on -one defender on our team maybe other than Rudy I think they go toe-to-toe one-on-one as far as defensive metrics go but 
I think that it needs to be something that's more disciplined, more focused, and something that is more, you know, emphasized as a team to be able to play a better one-on-one defense. I think the Jazz did a good job of not fouling overall in this game. And, you know, it was a pretty good defensive game. The Grizzlies only shot 45% from the field, but they did get off 100 shots, so that was frustrating. They didn't have that good of a game either. They had nine turnovers. They only shot 35% from three, but they only attempted 20, and we attempted 47. So that's the difference in points there. I think we rebounded really, really well in this game. We out-rebounded them 50-42. to They out-offensive rebound, out-offensive rebounded us 16-12, to so that's something to take a look at. But defensively, this game was um, really on fire at some point in the second quarter, and that's when we really took a good lead but eventually fell short later in the game. Um, but yeah, I think we need to play with that kind of fire, that kind of uh, hustle and pace the whole game defensively. And I think our success really does come when we're playing good defense because we have a great offensive team, but especially without Mitchell, if we can't be stopping them on the other side, then it's not going to be a game we win. So I think those are just some really great keys for the for the future of the series. And like I said, I think the Jazz will take it in six. I think Memphis is enough to take one more game, but I don't think this game is any indication of how the rest of the series will go. I don't know how many close games will, there will be, but... Only time will tell, and I'm excited and very nervous to see. I am not very happy that the game is so far away. I wish we would have been able to play um, tonight instead of tomorrow because I don't want to wait two more days with a Jazz loss in my heart as a fan or whatever you want to say. I don't want to wait um, that long to watch us win. I want to watch us win sooner so that can erase the pain of losing. But um, I'm glad the NBA gave the Grizzlies some rest because they had been playing a lot, and I want this to be a fair series as far as rest and that kind of thing goes. So we've talked about the Mitchell drama today, and we have talked about the awful Game 1 that was frustrating to watch, and... We previewed kind of the rest of the series, but now I kind of want to end the episode on a a better note since this was all kind of negative in a way. I try to make it positive. I think the Mitchell drama, I try to make positive because it's not as bad as everyone thinks and everyone was being a baby about it. So to end this, I wanted to do a segment that I was going to do on a past episode, but I just ended up pushing it later into where um, the playoffs were to kind of add it. Um, I just want to give out the awards for our team and give a lot of our guys some good props. So first off, I just want to say um, a big congratulations, a big shout out to Jordan Clarkson for winning sixth man of the year. For those of you that don't know, last night he was awarded the NBA sixth man of the year. He's the best bench player in the league, according to the NBA, according to me, according to anyone that's been watching him this year. He's the best player off the bench in the NBA. And, you know, there's not much to say about Clarkson that hasn't already been said. He's a flamethrower off the bench. Thurl Bailey's given him that great nickname. I need to get myself a Clarkson flamethrower shirt. Um, I think everyone wants a Clarkson jersey. It's been one of the best sold jerseys um, to fans this season uh, as far as jazz jerseys go. And, you know, Dwayne Wade was saying he would want to be Clarkson if he was still in the league coming off the bench, playing his game, doing what he wants. You know, you have the green light, go, go, go. And, I mean, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Like last night, they made him really uncomfortable, like I said. 
but most of the time, you know, when you have your eyes on the rim and you're ready to score, it's a very positive thing. So he's had an amazing season. He's such an important part of what the Jazz have become because a big part, especially last year, this is the best place to look. Last year when he wasn't on the team for the first half of the season, it was an awful bench, one of the worst benches in the NBA, but he has literally turned us into one of the best benches in the NBA and just a super amazing bench player. I mean, obviously, like I said, best in the league, but the trade for him was such a great move last season, and I think he's going to be a sixth man of the year candidate the next three, four years. He could win a couple. I think he's just had a really, really great season. This season for the Jazz, he has a came off the bench in 67 games and started one game. He's played 26.7 minutes per game, which is basically the same as a starter, but he's played great off the bench. Attempted 15.8 field goals a game, made 16, 6.7. That's a 42.5% field goal percentage. He's attempted 8.8 threes and made 3.1 per game. That's 34.7% from three. And he has a 52.2% efficient uh, effective field goal percentage, my bad, which is free throw plus two point plus three point percentage. He only averages two free throws a game, but he shoots at 89.6% from three or from the free throw, my bad. And yeah, just a really great player. He has f averages four total rebounds a game, which is a really, really great number off the bench. He, for such a small guard to be able to have the athleticism to get four total rebounds a game is really incredible a really important part of our bench and then 2.5 assists per game which is also amazing and of course the most off the bench in the nba which basically gives you the award is 18.4 points per game he only averages 1.5 fouls a game and 1.7 turnovers a game which are both pretty average but still really great coming off the bench and yeah like i said a really amazing season he had a crazy stretch in the season that really put him ahead in this category if you look at the voting of it, which was really cool, the well, first of all, before I get into this, if you haven't yet, go on YouTube, search up him getting the award. Ingles surprises him with it. It's such a great moment for the friend, like one of the franchise's best moments, I think, um, as far as brotherhood and just chemistry goes. And I thought it was, you know, a really awesome moment. If you look at the um, the voting for sixth man of the year and and for everything, every uh, award is voted on by a hundred people in the media and in the franchises. I think each coach gets a vote, maybe something like that. But um, Clarkson got 65 first place votes, and then Joe Ingles got 34. So 99 out of the 100 votes um, go to our team, which is super awesome. I think maybe the one uh, Derek Rose first place vote. I think each head coach gets a vote. So I think it was the Knicks head coach because he wanted to put his own guy as sixth, sixth man. But yeah, Clarkson got most first place votes and then second most second place votes. And then in third place, he got a couple, but yeah, he had 407 total voting points. Cause if you get first, it's five points. Second is three points. Third is one point. So 407 total points. And then, yeah, Ingles with 272 points. And like I said, look that up on YouTube. It's a really great moment. Ingles surprising Clarkson with the award he didn't know he was getting. Um, super awesome moment. I, I loved watching that, especially after all the sour, stupid media people dogging on our franchise all day about resting uh, Mitchell when it could have been a good decision. It was a really good way to end the day. It, it was an awesome moment. 
and he was also surprised like by his friends and family and uh his girlfriend and you know nieces nephews um little sister little brother that kind of thing surprised with them um in the gym after so really great awesome season jordan clarkson is your sixth man of the of the year for both the utah jazz and in the entire nba best player off the bench in the whole nba i hope he wins it next year too he is an amazing player next up is our most improved player on our team there are a lot of players to consider for this award we were the sixth seed in the playoffs last year and we are the first seed in the playoffs this year obviously that calls room for improvement in a lot of players on our roster um niang was a one of the worst one-on-one defenders last season and he has become an average one-on-one defender which is a huge improvement ingles is having the best season of his, of his career um which is incredible because he's had some really great seasons especially as a starter he broke the three-point record for the jazz's franchise this year so obviously that's a really good addition to his resume he could be a candidate for most improved player for our team um, like we've already talked about Clarkson, he has shot the three unlike he ever has before, especially in that stretch he was on fire and he's having a really amazing season. And then of course, Donovan, uh, improves every season. I think he'll improve every season for the next couple before he hits his peak. And then he's just going to be maybe a top 10 player in the league, top 15 for sure. He's added so many facets to his game, um, that weren't there before, but I think overall for our most improved player on the Utah Jazz, I'm going to go with Royce O'Neal. Um, Royce has been a really solid role player for us coming off the bench. He was drafted in 2017 from Baylor in the second round, which was the same drafting year as Mitchell. So we added two of our starters in the same draft. Again, another shout out to um, the front office and the general management for drafting well. This year, um, Royce has stepped up incredibly and become a, a starter on our team, our starting small forward and the second best defender on our team. 90% of the time, he's defending the other team's best player, and he does a more than average job of keeping them in check and under control. Of course, when you're playing against the best players in the league, they're still going to have amazing games, but he does a good job of making sure that he does enough defensively to keep the team winning. He guards quick, smaller guards, such as Lillard, Curry, John Morant, um, but then he is also guarding larger wings like LeBron, DeRozan, Michael Porter Jr., and so many others he's guarded this season. And he's not afraid to stare him down, let him know that he's not backing down on the defensive side of the ball, and that he's going to be a problem for them the entire game. He hits threes when it matters most. His three-point percentage isn't amazing, isn't amazing this season, but he does a really great job of hitting them just when it matters uh, in person and on of course, watching all the games, I've seen so many threes that he's hit when they are just when the Jazz needed there in a drought or it's a close game. He just hits those when he, he knows we need them. And he's a really great, that kind of guy. You know, Iguodala, um, Ginobili, uh, Allen, you know, some of the best three-point shooters as far as Allen goes. But they, they hit them when they matter and they might not be hitting them all the time. But when it matters most, they're going to hit the three. And he's one of those players. He... He's at a point offensively, especially from beyond the arc, where a team has to still guard him and still has to pay attention to him, where so many defensive players, uh, Torrey Craig comes to mind as one of them, so many defensive player, players in this league don't get a starting role because their defense is so great, but they are a negative effect on the offensive side of the ball. Wesley Matthews had a big problem of that in Milwaukee. When he was in Milwaukee, he's been traded to New Orleans since then, probably because of this. He 
was such a great defender, one of the best one-on-one defenders, but offensively, he's just an awful, awful player. And Royce isn't like that. He's great on both sides of the ball. They still have to pay attention to him. He can still assist well, hits those threes, can get in the paint when he needs to. His stats never jump off the page, but he's very integral in the Jazz starting lineup, and they would not be the first seed without him. So for most improved player, um, it's going to be Royce O'Neal. I hope he improves even more in his game, and I think he's going to have a really great career, whether it's with Utah. We have him at a really good price for the next handful of seasons, but wherever he he goes in his career, he will be valuable because he is that kind of guy that can fit on any roster that every team needs. For the last two awards of my awards for the team is going to be Most Valuable Player and Defensive Player of the Year, and those are both going to go to Rudy Gobert. Gobert is such a unique player in the modern NBA, how he can still stick to what the NBA used to be like at his position and still be what I would consider the third best center in the league behind Jokic and Embiid and the best defensive center in the league. It is truly incredible. He adds so much value to our team. Anybody on our team, we can do pretty well without. Like, without Mitchell, this team would probably be a 6 through 8 seed, but without Gobert, this team might not even make the playoffs. He is so important to what the Jazz do. It He needs to win Defensive Player of the Year in the entire NBA because he deserves it more than any other player, especially Ben freaking Simmons. Um, I don't even, can't even explain what an episode would be like if, if Simmons want to over Rudy, it would just be a Ben Simmons hate episode. I don't want to do that because I think he's a really great player, but Rudy guards an, an entire other team. The Jazz are not that great defensively other than Royce. Like I said, Rudy makes up for so many mistakes of our defense and he is just a truly great defensive player. Um, yeah, he's defensive player of the year for our team and for the NBA. In my opinion, I think he's also the most valuable player of our team for the reasons of his defense, plus just other on and off the court numbers and other things like that. Um, on this podcast, I don't really get into deep analytic statistics that often, but um, with Rudy, I think it's just such a great way to show how amazing his game is that I want to go into some of the um, into some of the statistics of how great he is as a player. So as far as defensive play of the year goes, Rudy's defensive rating is 100.9, which basically means that when the per 100 possession possessions, so every time, every 100 times the opposing team has the ball, they only score 100.9 points. So that basically means that Rudy is keeping them to one point per possession. So if they're shooting threes, they're only scoring one third of the time at 33%. And if they're shooting twos, they're only scoring 50%. Both are really great numbers, an amazing defensive rating that he has when he's on the court and a net rating of 15.9. So when Rudy's on the court, the other team only scores 100.9 points per 100 possessions. But when Rudy's off the court, our opposing team scores 116.8 points per 100 possessions. So a huge um, difference. 15. He basically stops the other team from 16 points per game. So subtract the other team's points by 16 and that would be the final of the game. Or if we didn't have Rudy, add 16 points to the to the final score of the game, and that would be our um, record for the for the season. I, I, I should have gone, and I could go really quick. 
maybe I'll look at it next episode. What are, if you just looked at the statistics, what our record would be for this year? Because just add 16 points to the other team and then the final scores would be a lot different. He's really been our most valuable player. He's only missed one game the whole season. He averages 30.8 minutes per game. And I think we can talk about contract, but I think he deserves every penny of his contract. I think he's worth that money. I think he adds so much to our game, and I think he's such a great player for so many reasons. He averages 14.3 points per game, 13.5 rebounds per game, and 2.7 blocks per game. His case for MVP, I could say, if you look at other players on our team, Mitchell is obviously another candidate for MVP, but there's really two statistical categories that you can look at that Rudy has that show why he's the MVP. There's hustle statistics that are something that the NBA is starting to analyze, and then there's on and off the court stats. We kind of talked about that with the defensive rating. But yeah, as far as hustle categories, he's second in these following categories. Um, He has 6.1 screen assists per game, so that means when a player comes off a screen and scores because he set that screen, that's an that's a screen assist so he has 6.1 per game 15.1 points per game off the screen so that would basically mean out of this uh 6.1 screens he he accomplishes per game that would be like four of them are twos and three of them are threes about that number so he's just really great in that pick and roll and setting the best screen some of the best screens in nba history for our guys to shoot he has um contested for contested two-point shots on the hustle category, he's second with 12.1 contested two-point shots per game. And then contested shots total, he's 14.8, which is also second in that category. And one of the most annoying knocks for me, for the people that say he's not that great of a defender or doesn't deserve the, deserve the defensive player of the years he's gotten and doesn't deserve this year's, is that he doesn't guard the wing well and he can't guard at every position. And of course, you're not going to put Rudy on a guard to start the game but Rudy has really changed his and improved his game this year where he can hold his own in the wing, and he's not really going to get exposed that often in the wing. The only reason there's a lot of highlights um, for Gobert is where it's him getting exposed. They're either really old when he was still developing his game, like that the most famous uh, Curry versus Gobert highlight where he had Gobert spinning. Um, that was That's like a four four-year-old highlight I think three-year-old highlight when he's still developing his game and then there's been a couple this year but the the out of every possession he's going to get exposed a few and that's okay I think he can guard the wing just as well as anywhere else on the court and that he can get as many contested shots in the paint as he can anywhere else um another like I was saying another great more great statistics to look at our on and off number. So this is our team with Gobert on the court and without Gobert on the court. Like I said, he averages 30.8 minutes per game. So this is those minutes that he's on versus those minutes that he's off. This is a really good way to show MVP. Not that just he's the defensive player of the year, but that our team even plays better on offense and that he's one of the most integral and best parts of our offense without even scoring uh, an a great amount so just to start off simple the jazz outscore their opponents by 14.7 points when gobert is on the court versus when he's off so that's 14.8 points more because of gobert great mvp numbers um they shoot 3.2 percent better overall and their opponents score 12.8 points less and shoot 6.1 percent worse when gobert is on the floor and they 
like probably my favorite statistic of why he's so great defensively is that the opponents shoot 6.1% worse from anywhere on the court when Gobert is on the court and they attempt 5.7 less free throws when Gobert is on the court. So he's doing a better job of stopping their shots and fouling less. That is just amazing defense. That is what makes you a defensive player of the year. They just show how he can defend an entire team when the Jazz would not really be anything on, like, the Jazz would be Portland without Gobert, probably way, not way worse, a, a worse version of Portland without Gobert. He is everything to this team defensively, and he's, he is the Jazz's defense. I've heard this comparison a lot, and I think it's a really good way to describe it, how Curry is the Warriors' offense, or Luka is the Mavericks' offense. Rudy's the same way, except the defense. There would be no defense without Gobert. He is clearly an incredible defender he wins the defensive player of the year for this team and he 100 1000 percent deserves it for the entire nba he should really really get that award and it's going to be uh, a robbery a disgrace if he doesn't it it just needs to happen and that is going to be it for you guys today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember to share this podcast with any other Jazz fans you know, or just any other fans of basketball, any other Utahns out there. Um, the Jazz are have a great future. This is the best time to become a Jazz fan. Like I've said before, the playoffs are just starting. We have finals chances. We have finals hopes. This is one of the best seasons in franchise history. It's the best time to introduce people to the Jazz. So, um, let's grow the fan the fan base of the Jazz and um, let's grow the podcast because I think there's this is a really good place for beginning Jazz fans as well as uh, people who follow the Jazz regularly. Make sure to leave a rating on this podcast and then also go follow the Instagram page at utah.jazzweekly. And yeah, I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Um, there's going to be some watch parties at the arena for the away games of the jazz i'm going to try and hit a couple of those so that's just something to be aware of it's going to be a really fun experience just being in a an awesome fan base is such a great experience i uh, hope you guys have the rest of your week finishing off the school year for the young people and all those teachers out there and i hope you guys have a good one and we will see you next week with another episode have a good one take care